Thank you for calling Money. I'm here to give you financial advice to make your life better and you better at life. This is Money. How can I help you? Karen, what? Get out of here. Karen, we have not talked since your piggy bank days. How are you? Hello, this is Money. It's a great day to be green. Yes, the environment is important too. Uh, I was referring to green, the color of my shirt, which you cannot see, uh, and the fact that I am the embodiment of money. Uh, I should get a better slogan. Absolutely, Kevin, I can tell you your net worth right now. It's nothing. Yeah, no, like 0, 0.00. But listen, hey, even though you're technically worth nothing in like, you know, dollars and cents, did I ever tell you how much our friendship means to me? It is this much. I don't know, Karen, at the end of the day, what's the real difference between the 10 and the 11 Pro X? Whoa, three lenses. We just have to tool around with your financial plan, but we can get it, all right? Yeah, your security code is 616. Oh, you just bought it just now, that was quick, okay. Uh, well, can we talk about your new plan? Karen? Karen, hello? It's weird as if you like hung up the moment I said plan. Uh, you spent $72.34. Can I just say, that's a lot of McFlurries for any one person, you know? Listen, Sonia. I know we've been on the rocks, but I don't want to give up on us, okay? I'm just asking that you check up on me every now and again. If you don't talk to me, I can't help you. Leon, hey, oh my gosh. That's a lovely boat, man. A power boat for a power man, and that is you, buddy. Yeah, uh-huh. You want to buy it? <laughs> That's a good joke. Oh, you're serious. Okay, um, well, if we do want to go ahead with it, we're going to have to make some changes. Uh, so that probably means no more food, shelter, or water. Mm-hmm, yeah. No, you're right, it's a gorgeous boat, just like you. Okay, all right. Well, I'll, I'll talk to you later. You bought that boat. <clears throat> Look, it's your money at the end of the day, but I'm just trying to give you advice to help your Washingtons become Lincolns, you feel me? And then those Lincolns can maybe one day become Hamiltons. And then those Hamiltons can become Ulysses S. Grants. That's the 50, the $50 bill. Mm -hmm. And then those Ulysses can become Benjamins! Woo, woo, woo! Oh man, Karen, you're the best. No, you are. No, you are. Man, I'm so glad we took the time to reconnect. Let's do it again sometime soon. How about tomorrow? All right, so if your money could talk, what would it say? If your money could talk, what would it say? Some of you are already uncomfortable, right? Now, we're in a series on how to handle our money, how to handle our finances. And if money could talk, money would say a lot of things. If your money could talk, it'd say a lot of things. But the thing I want to talk about this morning is I know one thing your money would say. Here's what it is. Money would say, I am not a toy I am a tool. I am not a toy. I am a tool. And the question that comes into view for us this morning is this question. What is your perspective on that statement? Is money a toy or is it a tool? Think of, uh, we, we know what a toy is, right? Like when we think of a toy, a lot of times we think of something that a child would play, play with. We think of like an adult having a, a, a toy, like when they become an adult and think, hey, this, is, this boat, this is a toy or this jet ski or whatever. We have an idea of what a toy is. But I want to think of that word this morning, not just as a noun, but as a verb. Here's what the dictionary says on what a toy is. A toy, uh, to, the verb is to act or deal with something lightly or without purpose. Sorry, I guess it's not on the screen. But here it is. Let me say it again. A toy as a verb is this. To act or deal with something lightly or without purpose. That money viewed as a toy, if you want to know if you're viewing money as a toy, here it is. Do you view money in a way that is purposeless? Money as a toy, money viewed as a toy always results 
in greed. It always results in greed. I mean, think about it for just a minute. Like, when you're a kid, when you're a parent with a kid, what do you always have to tell the kid with his toys? Share your toys. Why? Because naturally, when we get a toy, the last thing we want to do with it is share it. And money... Viewed as a toy always results in greed. And what is greed? Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. But what about money as a tool? What about money as a tool? Back in 2008, I had just become the youth pastor here at Pleasant City Church. And uh, we were going on a mission trip here in, in country. We were going to, I believe it was Tennessee. And, uh, and Harvey and Renee Adams were always faithful to lead these trips. And so Harvey came up and said, hey, I've got you on a roofing crew. And I'm like, okay, do you know what I do for a living? And he's like, yeah, I know. Um, but I got you on a roofing crew, and you're going to need to go get a few tools. And he gave me a list of some tools to get. And he said, you're going to need to get a good hammer. And I'm like, yeah, I got a hammer. And it was like this little rink-dink thing with a, with a wooden handle to it. You know, just basically the only time I've ever used a tool is to hang pictures, right? Like just put the little nail in. I didn't even look for the stud. I just stick it in the wall and hope it doesn't fall. And he said, no, you need a good hammer. Back in 2008. So I bought this thing. And he told me what to get, like full metal right here, like metal neck. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but he told me, he said, you're going to use this hammer a lot this week to do roofing. And so I'm thinking in my, my limited knowledge of what I know uh, of being a handyman uh, that I'm thinking, okay, I guess I'm nailing a few things, you know, and even me doing this motion, y'all are like, yeah, he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but here's what I learned while I was up on the roof of this house at Mission Serve. I realized, and I've never known this before, that I was going to use this end maybe even more than I used this end. That was brand new knowledge for me. I really literally thought that this thing right here was only used to pull nails out of the wall. That's it. I didn't know that I was going to be tearing the roof off with this little thing right here. And what I learned that week about a hammer and what we learned about what I learned about a tool is that a tool has the ability to build or tear down. That a tool has the ability in your home to build or to tear down. And the truth of the matter is when we view money as a tool, it's coming to the realization that our money is a tool that has the ability to build our home or to tear down our home. You see, money is not only meant to be enjoyed, it's also meant to be employed. And when we have the right perspective of money as a tool, it results in generosity. It always results in generosity. And here's a definition that I want us to have this morning about generosity. And I know you could like have a hundred different definitions. This is not a Webster's dex, uh, dic, dictionary definition. This is a, uh, a, another definition I want to give you. Here's the definition for generosity. The trade of stuff for stories. The trade of stuff for stories. That our stuff, our right now resources have potential to make an eternal difference, to see stories of God's faithfulness. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 this morning is where we're going to be. When it comes to money, here's the question. How generous are you? How do you give? In Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 38, Jesus is warning his disciples. He's warning the people that are following him. And he says this in verse 38. As Jesus taught, as he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. 
and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now Jesus is telling his disciples about a group of people that honestly you would think would be a different perspective. The people that should have done the best job of teaching us about generosity actually do the worst job. They actually, these teachers of the law, they got into ministry for what people could give to them. That even in their generosity, it was all about what people could give to them. Namely, attention. They wanted attention. They wanted to be noticed. And what's sad is there are people today that still give the same way. And you might actually be sitting in the room this morning This type of giving that's superficial, this superficial, showy giving. And Jesus talks about it here in Mark 12. He actually talks about it also in Matthew chapter 6. And he tells his disciples, hey, don't be like these Pharisees or these teachers of the law. Instead, look at what he says in verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, and I love this, he doesn't say if you give, he says when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus was revealing a type of false generosity that was given solely for what could be gained by the giver. And we see this throughout scripture, right? Like Acts chapter 5, you have a story of Ananias and Sapphira and they did this very thing. They did this superficial, showy giving, and God took it so seriously. This is crazy. If you, don't, if you want to read the story, Acts chapter 5, it's nuts. God took this so seriously that they were giving out of show, and they were deceiving people about what they were really giving. He takes it so seriously that during a church gathering, he strikes them dead. And I'm going to be honest with you, if that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, man, what doesn't? Like, I'm uncomfortable thinking about that. Why? Because here's the, th- the truth. Many times in our lives, this, this false generosity kind of creeps up, right? I remember being uh, back at Mission Serve and on the roof and off the roof and you have people, I, I, the Lord did not make me to be one of these people. Thankfully, I had great parents that instilled a work ethic in me. But I remember there were some people that were on my crew, and they loved their water, right? Like they're taking their water breaks and making the Gatorade and offering prayer support from the, from the ground, you know, that kind of thing. And um, it was fun, right? But here's what happened. Okay, so we're on this trip, and about halfway through the week, Mission Serve has their own photographer. And the photographer is going to come out onto the job site and take a bunch of pictures and post them on social media. So you can bet your bottom dollar you know what happened, right? The photographer shows up and every joker on the team is up on that roof, right? Like people that, got, that, that did nothing, that didn't touch a hammer, man, they're going to town on stuff. In fact, they're messing up stuff that other people had already fixed. But they're going to town. Why? Because they want to be in the picture, right? They want the show. And let's be honest, we've all struggled with that, right? We've all dealt a little bit with this feeling of when you give something, there's a little part of you that wants someone to notice, just anyone to notice my gift of service, my gift of finances. But here's the question. Here's the the thought, the test of where your heart should be. When you give, do you want something for people 
Or do you want something from people? When you give, do you want something for people? Or do you want something from people? Here's another way to ask the question. What if no one ever notices what you do? What if no one ever noticed the money you gave? What if no one ever took a picture of you in action, serving? You know, I've been on enough mission trips, and and I kind of know the ebb and flow of it. You know, we love pictures, right? We want to take pictures, and we want pictures with kids that we're serving with, and we want pictures of projects that we're doing, and we want an action shot, you know, of, you know, yielding the hammer kind of thing. And here's the truth. My question is, for all of that, what's the motive behind the picture, Right? There, there can be pure motives there. I'm not saying that not. There's times I take pictures really so I can pray for the family that I just met. So I, there's, there, there are pure motives there. But what is the motive behind the, the snapshot? What's the motive behind people knowing what it is that you give? You see, our response to this kind of giving is it, pretty, pretty clear cut in Scripture here. It's this idea of completely rejecting your ego. That we would completely reject this kind of superficial, showy giving. That God, in his sovereignty, knows what it is we need. And here's the truth. This is true for everyone in this room. We desire some form of attention and acknowledgement. We do. Every one of us does. And in a lot of ways, we're like children with that, right? A dad gets home from work, and what happens? It's like, Dad, look. Dad, look. Dad, look. We des- we're kind of like that with God. We desire attention, and, and God knows this. And here's what's beautiful about this verse. He's not saying, don't do it for someone to see. He's saying, shift your audience. He's saying, don't do it for others to see. He says, do it privately and I'll see it. He's saying, I'll see it. I'll give you that attention that you need and that I've created you to have. But looking for it out here with others is superficial. It's showy. And so God basically in this passage and in the Matthew 12, Mark 12 passage, he's basically rejecting this kind of showy behavior in the life of a Christian when it comes to generosity and then you have right here between verse 40 of the passage in Mark 12 and verse 41 another type of giving that I want to talk about that's not mentioned in this passage but we see it all through scripture and it's this it's spontaneous sensitive giving spontaneous sensitive giving and this is how most people give and I'm not just talking about believers this is how Pretty much the entire world, if they're going to give something, this is typically the default way that most people give. Think about it. You're flipping through the TV, and all of a sudden you land on that commercial of the dogs. And pictures of dogs start coming up. And Sarah McLachlan starts singing. And you're thinking to yourself, how can I buy a farm and buy all these animals? I'm going to take care of every animal that's ever lived, right? I mean, we feel that. I was, I was at a movie the other day, and right before the movie, and I don't know if you've experienced this, St. Jude's Research Hospital comes up on the screen for children, and they're showing a commercial, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I just paid $9 for popcorn. What am I doing with my life, right? I mean, we feel that, right? This is what you call spontaneous, sensitive giving. You see the need, you connect emotionally to the need, and then you give to the need. It's, it's what we see, and it's the same in your life. You see a family, you see a person, an individual, maybe you receive a support letter in the mail for a mission trip that someone's going on, and what happens? You see a need, you connect to that need, and then you give to that need. 
And, and we see this in Scripture, right? Luke chapter 10, you have the story of the Good Samaritan. Y'all probably remember the story. Uh, this guy gets down and out. He gets robbed. He gets beaten. He's left for dead. People pass by, and they, don't see, they, they see the need, but they don't connect to the need, right? And they certainly don't give to the need. And then you have the Samaritan man. And it says here in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, this man, he had compassion. When he saw him, comma, the comma is where he connected to this, he had compassion for that man. The Bible is full of stories of this kind of giving. Philippians 4, the church takes care of Paul. Paul talks about that. This kind of spontaneous, sensitive giving. 2 Corinthians 8, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The Macedonian church, giving even when they couldn't afford to do it, they were doing it anyway. Or look at Matthew chapter 14. I mean, think of how the feeding of the 5,000 began. It began with a little boy giving away spontaneous, sensitive giving away his lunch that God multiplied to feed 5,000 people. We see this in Scripture. They see the need, they connect to the need, and then they give to the need. And here's the truth. There is nothing wrong with this kind of giving, right? Like This isn't like the showy giving that we completely need to reject. This kind of giving is definitely in play. And for every believer in the room, this should be a part of the way that we exhibit generosity in our world. Absolutely true. But, and this is a big but, but listen, it's not the only way that God expects or commands us to give. It's not the only way. And the potential danger, there's actually a danger that could be potentially associated with this. The potential danger is that it can actually give you a false sense of generosity. Because here it is. Most people, research shows this, most people that just give this way are not typically that generous by the way God defines generosity. And again, I'm not saying everyone. I'm saying most people that only give this way, only give this way, typically they're not that generous compared to the wealth that they possess. And this is where I want us to think about this. What should our response be in this kind of giving? It definitely should be a part of our lives, but what should our response be? It's this. Continually evaluate your motives. When you see a need, when you connect to that need, and right before you give to that need, evaluate your own motive in that. Am I doing this because I genuinely feel led by the Holy Spirit to interject the goodness of God into this ministry, into this person, into this family? Is that the reason I'm doing it? Or am I doing this to alleviate my conscience of feeling bad that I don't really give that much of my wealth away? And here's the question for us to think about. And this brings us to our next type of giving. Generosity works best the same way, and we've been talking about this this week. It works best the same way saving works and the same way spending works. With a plan and with a percentage. With a plan and with a percentage. No matter how much you have or don't have, no matter what's going on in your life financially, here's the truth. And we can back this up with scripture we're about to. Create planned percentage giving in your life. It's in scripture. Verse 41, look at what Jesus says, or look at what the story takes us to. He just rebukes the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, the teachers of the law. He just rebukes them. He says, hey, don't be like them. They're showy. They're superficial. They give, and their generosity is not even real. Don't be like them. And then he gives us a real-life example of what we see here in Scripture. Verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite 
the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So Jesus is there at the temple. He's watching people come in and out of the temple. And it's very similar to kind of what we have here. We have these give boxes in the back. And a lot of times when people walk in or walk out, they put their, their, their tithes and offerings in those boxes. It's very similar. And Jesus is standing there and people are putting their money into this metal trumpet-shaped looking thing as they enter the temple. And Jesus is doing only what Jesus can do, right? Like there's a lot of things that we should imitate Christ on. This is not one of them. Jesus, because he knows everything and he knows the hearts of people, he is looking right through their soul at their motives and at their heart for why it is they're giving the money they're giving. And then it says in verse 41, the last part of it says, many rich people threw in large amounts. Large amounts. And you can imagine this scene, can't you? Like, they didn't have paper dollars back then, so it's not as quiet as... Actually, I just happened to be walking by earlier, and I actually saw someone put something in the give box, and it's so quiet and neat. You know, you got your little offering envelope, and you just slip it in, right? That's not what we see here. All of their wealth was coin-based. And so you can imagine these rich people showing up in this trumpet-looking metal thing, and that money just hitting, clang, 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 clang. I mean, it reminds you of like one of those coin changer things at Walmart, right? You know, it's like, it's the loudest thing in the store, and you're sitting there, and somebody's counting out their nickels, you know, in the machine. This is kind of what you have, this sound and sight of what Jesus and everyone else is seeing. All these rich people giving vast amounts of money. And here's the question I want you to think about. This is kind of a crazy question to think about, but think about this. What if this morning, right here, right now, what if someone showed up today and gave the church $1 million? Now think about that for just a minute. Like, what would it feel like if we're sitting in here right now And all of a sudden, someone walks back to the back with their checkbook and writes a check, sticks it in there. Maybe it's anonymous, maybe it wasn't. Sticks it in there, and the next week we say, you know what, someone in the gathering last week gave a million dollars to our church. You know what would happen? I guarantee you, I know what's going to happen. Everybody and their brother sitting in here today would be like, man, that's amazing. Wow, that's so generous, right? But here's the question. Is that actually generous? Depends on who gave it. And here's what I mean by this. This is what God is seeing here. Jesus is looking at these people, dumping money into the offering, and he's looking at their heart. He sees what actual generosity is. And then verse 42 says this, But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, here's what's crazy. Adjusted for inflation 2,000 years later, this money that she put in still not worth a dollar here in our, in our current situation. I mean, this is so small amount of money. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, what kind of math is Jesus doing here? How did she give more than these other people putting money in to the offering? It's these words. Look at them. Planned percentage. Planned percentage. That God is not impressed by numbers. He's moved by percentages. He's moved by percentage. That in the economy of God, percentage is greater than dollars. And here's why. Think about it. Do you think for a second... The creator of the world, the one who owns it all, could ever be impressed with a number, a dollared number. He owns it all, right? That's not what impresses him. It's about 
the percentage. And here's what that means for every one of us in the room. And it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. That for some of you, giving $1,000 is a big deal. Right? That for, for some of you, giving $1,000 is like, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's, that might even be sacrificial. But here's the other truth of the, of the matter. For some of you, giving $1,000 is embarrassing based on what you already have. Percentage is what moves the Lord. He's not impressed by how many zeros are on the end of numbers. Generosity can only be measured between you and God. That's it. In fact, some of you know this, but the pastors here at this church, not a single one of us knows what anyone gives in this church except ourselves. No one. We, we just don't know. We don't have a clue. And, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. But here's the, really the bottom line. Even if we did know, we wouldn't know who's actually generous. Because generosity isn't based on a number of dollars. It's based on the percentage of your wealth. How much of your wealth is going to the kingdom of God. Generosity is measured by God with an intentional plan and an intentional percentage. That giving to God should not be determined by what is left over, but what is given in the first place, like right off the top. Yet it's so easy for the money to just leave our wallet and the leftovers be given to God, right? I mean, we've got our wallet, and for during the week, we know, right? We've got a house payment to make. I mean, there's that. There's, you know, we've got utility bills to pay. We've got to get that taken care of. The kids, they need new soccer uniforms. That's going to be some more money. And by the time it's over with, there's nothing left. In fact, then we're like, all right, we got this card, this magic card swipes, and we're going to do some stuff with that. And so we're swiping that. We got a vacation to pay for. Swipe. We got this to pay for. Swipe, swipe, swipe. And here's what winds up happening. We get before a holy God who owns it all, and we say to God, you know what, God? I don't really have anything else to give to the kingdom. I, I just don't. I'm short this week. There's just so many other things I had to give to, and I just... I just don't, oh, you know what? Actually, God, guess what? I found some money in the couch this week. I'm going to give this to you. And you know what we'll do with that money that we found in the couch? We'll brag about that, right? Like we'll say, it was such a God thing this week. I found $5 in the couch and I gave it to God. Like that was such a God thing. No, it's not a God thing. You know what a God thing is? The God thing is planning a percentage before the paycheck even hits the bank account. This is what God is after. This is what honors God. Giving off the top, not serving him leftovers. We, we have a new king in England, so yippee for that if you're from Britain. I'm not, but I am fascinated by that. I'll be honest, I get fascinated by uh, the commonwealth and the kingdom and all that good stuff. It's interesting to me. And imagine with me that the king of England decides he's going to visit Shelby, North Carolina. And he wants to visit a peasant. And so he's going to come to Jonathan Glisson's house and eat dinner at our house. And I, I'm not a peasant by any means, but compared to the king of England, I am a peasant. He wants to come to our house and eat at our dinner table. Not, we're not going out to eat. We're eating right there. And you know what my wife would do? I'm not kidding. I told somebody this this week. We have dishes that we got on our wedding day. They've never been used. They sit above our refrigerator in a stack. It's our fine china, and it's never been used. So you know what would happen. I mean, if the king of England's coming to our house, she's going to put those nice fine china plates out. But think about this. Think of how ridiculous this is. What if when the king sits down, I say to him, hey, you're in for a real treat tonight. My wife makes, and, and I, I believe this with all my heart, my wife, in a, in a land with seven Mexican restaurants, my wife makes the best tacos in the city. Like, she just does. And I go to the refrigerator, and I say, uh, King Charles, we had tacos five nights ago. 
and they were amazing. And, and these are actually from five nights ago right here. Let's see. It smells a little ripe. And let's say I take this taco meat, stick it on a taco, warm it up in the microwave, throw a little cheese on it because that's how we like to do it here in America. And I take that taco and I just sit it down on that nice piece of fine china. How ridiculous is that, right? Like you're thinking to yourself, you're not going to do that. You're going to like pull out all the stops for the king of England. And here's, here's the point. For some of us, our giving looks just like that. Like as ridiculous as that analogy is, it looks just as stupid. Some of you live your lives this way and you are missing out on the blessings of generosity. You see, this isn't a plea for you to help the poor, pitiful church. Like, here's the truth. God owns this church. He built this church. He can take care of his own church, right? Here's the thing, though. It's not about that. Should you give to the church? Absolutely. I can find that in Scripture for you. It's very clear in Scripture you should be given to the church. But I'm not sitting here asking for the million-dollar drop for the church because it's not about numbers. It's about percentage. And this is not a plea. This whole message, this whole series is not a plea to help the church. It's a proposal for you. It's not for us. It's for you. It's for a proposal to bring lasting joy and satisfaction into your life. To have your life count for something bigger than yourself and your stuff. This is what generosity is about. It's not about just giving to stuff. It's it's about giving to release your heart to a place of eternal value. And the response here is this, that you would consistently increase in your generosity. That you would consistently increase in your generosity, that you never fully and finally arrive at something. It's a continual, a consistent increase in what God has given you. That it doesn't matter if you have a lot of debt or a little debt or no debt. It doesn't matter. Start giving off the top, not the leftovers. Start giving off the top. And here's what it's going to do. It's going to redirect your heart. Even if you're in debt, it's going to redirect your heart and refocus you to have a plan for where your money goes. And chances are you might get out of debt quicker. That's not prosperity. That's just the truth. When our heart is redirected and our mind is directed to intentional use of our money as a tool, it changes the way we view money. And God's saying, hey, do it this way. Do it my way. This is the best way for us to live. Back several years ago when me and Crystal first got married, we had student loans. We had car payments. We were paying rent on a house at the time. We were, we were uh, broke, pretty much. And uh, we were just trying to, honestly, we were following Dave Ramsey's steps that my dad taught me for years. And we were really just trying at the time just to save up $1,000 for an emergency fund. Like that's the step we were on. And we were working towards that end. And we decided early on, before we even got married, we're going to give off the top of our income. And here's the thing. This is not a brag moment. In fact, I'll just tell you, it was hard. And there was times where I wasn't even joyful in that, which the Bible talks about being joyful in generosity. There were times I wasn't joyful in being the top, but we decided early on we were going to do that. In fact, for all you moms out there, this is my moment to, to, to share about my mom. Just like Christian said, you get a platform. Here's the truth about my parents, and really not only true about my dad, but true about my mom. My dad is probably the wisest man I know on spending money and saving money and giving money. They are some, and I don't know fully what they make, but I know better than you do because I'm their kid. They are some of the most generous people I know. 
And you know what's so cool about that? When my dad, I remember when I was like 13 when they started just really getting intentional with their finances. I remember dad sitting us all down at like 13 and sharing this. And you know what my mom did not do? My mom did not belittle my dad. My mom did not like go against him. She didn't just start spending money left and right outside of what the plan was for our family. My mom set the example in our home. And Crystal's parents did the same thing. And so when we got to our marriage, we had so much good stuff from our moms and our dads poured into us that it was super easy to do what we did. Do you realize that the things, the decisions you're making, parents, right now about your choices in finances and your choices in generosity, they're going to trickle down to the mindset that your children are going to have. And my mom was one who honored Christ with her finances. And we decided as a family, we're going to do the same thing. And so every year in our life, we've, we've tried this every year. And we've been able to, some years it's been more than others. And some years it's, it's, it's right there. But we've just made it an attempt. Lord, we're going to try to give more each year than we did the year before. And we've got planned percentage giving in our world. Yeah, we're spontaneous. Yeah, we have moments where we're able to give to a need that just comes up and arises. But really, what honors God even more than that is when we say right off the top, Lord, we're going to give you the top. Not the bottom, not the leftovers. We're going to give you the top. And he's, he's asking the same for you in your life. Supernatural sacrificial giving is the last type of giving I want to talk about. Jesus reveals a little more about this woman's heart and her giving. Jesus says in verse 44, They, the wealthy ones, all gave out of their wealth. But she, the, the poor widow, she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. And when we look at this, when we look at this percentage, it's a simple percentage. Everything, in case you're not a math whiz, everything means 100%. This woman gave 100% of her wealth. And here's the question that we always have to ask. Yeah, for most of us in the room, for, for all of us in the room, there, there's going to be times where we give spontaneously. There's going to be times, or hopefully all of our life should, should echo this idea of planned percentage giving. And then there's going to be times where the Lord might ask for more. The Lord might ask for a sacrifice. The question you should ask when it comes to your finances is not simply how much of my money should I give to God. No, it's more than that. The better question you should ask is how much of God's money should I keep for myself. Do you hear the difference in those two questions? Are we calculating the minimum we can give God or are we opening our hands to what he wants to put in our hands and also what he might want to take out of our hands? Do you trust God with the money he has given you to manage? And here's the response for all of us. When it comes to this kind of giving, the response is this, that we would courageously Open our hands up and say, Lord, whatever you want to put in our hands, we're going to receive. And Lord, whatever you want to take out of our hands, we're also going to let you do that. Because it's his money to begin with anyway. You know, we think about the story of the rich young ruler. And if you remember the story, Jesus said, hey, sell all your possessions and then come follow me. And we think, oh, that's hyperbole. Or, you know, that's just, that's just saying that we got to be willing for that. And there's truth to that. we got to be willing. But here's the thing. Could God ask you to give it all away? Absolutely, he could. Absolutely, he could. And what's so cool about this is there are stories of, of men and women of God who were doing this, who were giving larger percentages of their life away in generosity. And it's not just an Old Testament or a New Testament principle. It's for us here today as well. That each level of giving reveals your faith and your trust in God. I want to end with this, this story, and I've got a picture of this family that's going to come up here on the screen. We were in Guatemala a few, uh, a couple, few weeks ago, and um, 
we, uh, we got there late. We were three hours late getting there. We had our whole team. We're running behind, and uh, we got a great team with us, and we stopped at a chicken joint to eat some food because we were all starving. And we come out of the restaurant, and I'm like one of the last ones to get on the bus. And at the bus are two young ladies sitting, standing there at the bus waiting for me. And I'm just picking chicken out of my teeth, and I'm not really paying attention to anything going on. And these two young ladies, we're, we're not even at the place where we're going to do ministry. You're right, we're, we're driving to that place. And we're already behind. And they say, can we stop for a minute and go talk to this family that's right here? And, and there was a mother, a father two young children. They were Venezuelan refugees. They'd been, they left Venezuela. They were middle class family. They had a house. They had a car. And through the process of the collapse there, they sold their house. They had their car. And then halfway down the journey, they're trying to get to a better living situation. Halfway down the journey, someone robbed them, took all their life savings, took their money. They're on the streets. And these two young ladies, I didn't even see this family. These two young ladies saw the need connected with the need, and they wanted to give to that need. And so we went and talked to them. They didn't want to just give them money off the top. We just wanted to hear their story. We heard their story, and this man, you can see him, he just falls apart. As a father, he has no home for his family. There is no welfare in this country that we're in. There is no situation that can help him. And he just falls apart. And he says, I just don't know what to do. And he's, he's bogged down with shame. He's bogged down with just struggling with what, what's going on in his life. And we were able to pray with him. We were able to share the gospel with him. He was already a believer, but we talked to him anyway about that. And it was such a cool moment because these two young girls brought us to this point because they were paying attention. Their antennas were up. Mita and Rick Dixon were there. They are normally in this gathering. They might be here right now. And God was using them. Actually, someone from our church gave Rick a specific amount of money. And he told Rick, he said, look, Rick, if you see a need, give to that need. What that money is there for. And Rick actually gave them that money that someone from this church had given Rick. And here's the point of the story. The story is, the point is this. We were able to give them hope. We were able to help them a little bit. This is just one story of God's faithfulness. But I want you to think about what it took for that moment to happen. We had to have a church where people within the church gave to the budget to get us to Guatemala. You understand how that works? We had to have that. We had to have people that were sensitive enough to the Spirit to give to the needs of those that sent out support letters. The two young ladies that, got, that sent support letters. People gave to those young ladies to go on the trip. They're on the trip. They're the ones that see the need. So that was important. We had someone give $50 to Rick to give to this family. That person was moved to do this. All this generosity led us to this story of God's faithfulness in their lives. That our money is not a toy. It's a tool. And the truth about a tool is this. It can build an empire of stuff and it could tear down our home with debt or it could tear down strongholds in people's lives and it could build the kingdom of God. And this is what God's desire is for your life. You are sitting in the blessings of people in this church who didn't just give a spontaneous gift here or there. No, people who gave planned percentage, people who gave supernaturally and sacrificially for the kingdom of God to advance. People who didn't get more stuff, but instead get to remember the stories of God's faithfulness that God used through their generosity. Stories just like this. So here's the application. Do you want stories? Do you want more stories? Or do you want more stuff? Do you want more stuff? Or do you want more stories? It's interesting. The this, this story continues. It's kind of a weird way. Most pastors don't break it up like this. But I couldn't help but read chapter 13. And after this moment with the widow... Jesus is leaving the temple, and in verse 13, or chapter 13, it says this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, 
What massive stones. What magnificent buildings. What cool stuff. He's talking about the temple. Jesus says, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. You see, the kingdom of God is not about stuff. It's not the temporal. The kingdom of God is about stories of God's faithfulness. It's eternal. And the tool of money in the hands of a generous person can create a legendary life, a life of stories of building the kingdom of God. And this is what Christ wants for your life. You know, it's so easy. It's so easy to think that that just because I give a couple dollars to this need or a couple dollars to that need, or just because I go to a church where God is doing some great things, it's easy sometimes for us to feel like we're associated with that, this false sense of generosity. And I just want to encourage you today to don't just try to sneak into the picture of generosity. You remember that story at the beginning? The photographer shows up. Don't try to sneak into the picture with your hammer and your tool belt. Instead, let's get on the roof together and build the kingdom of God for his name and for his sake. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Imagine with me right now what would happen if we all did this, if every one of us in this room displayed this kind of generosity in our lives. Imagine what God could do with that. How would it change us? How would it change our church? How would it change our city and our county? How would it change the kingdom of God if we would just live out these principles of generosity that are right here in Scripture? Next week, that's where we're going. We're going to look at the potential of what God can do with a generous heart. Father, I I just lift us up to you in prayer, Lord. I ask God that you would just, just search our hearts, Lord. God, you're not interested in a number, a money amount, Lord, because the truth is, Lord, you know how much we already have. You know how wealthy we are. We're in the top percentages. Just for us living in this country, we're in the top percentages. God, we are wealthy people. And Lord, you know our hearts. And so, God, it's not about how much money we give, Lord. It's about what percentage of our wealth are we giving and designating to you? What percentage of our wealth are we intentional about off the top giving to you and your kingdom? Jesus, convict us. Lord, convict my heart, God, in the times where I've given for a show. Or the times I've given just to alleviate my conscience of maybe not feeling generous in other areas of my life. Lord, help me to have open hands and to receive what you want to put in our hands, what in in my hands, and God to also agree with what you want to take out of my hands. Jesus, it's all for your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for this message. We pray, God, that you would use it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. Happy Mother's Day. You're dismissed.